Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Today, I want to encounter a question. And uh, to be honest, this is a question that uh, is one of the most asked questions that I get as a pastor. Where someone will come in and talk with me or I'll be engaging with someone uh, while I'm visiting with them. And they will ask me, uh, Matt, I just want to know... What the will of God is for my life. How many of you have asked that question before? Put your hands up. Okay. I have. I I have asked that question numerous times. And in fact, we often even employ some other strategies. we, We almost play games with ourselves to try and determine what is the will of God for me. What does this look like? How do we do this? Well, have you ever stopped to consider why is it that we want to know God's will so badly? Well, for the follower of Jesus, we might hear that question and go, that's a ridiculous question. Why wouldn't I want to know the will of God? If I'm striving to follow after Jesus and I'm striving to do what he has called me to do, then shouldn't I want to know what the will of God is for me? Shouldn't I want to know this and Some of you may say, well, because I know that if I'm in the will of God, it is the safest, most secure place that I can be. That's why I want to know the will of God. And yet, if we're really honest with ourselves, there's a piece of this that is a control issue. Where part of us really kind of wants to know what the will of God is, because in the back of my mind, I really would kind of like to decide whether I agree with his will or not. Right? Or in some ways, consider God's will and maybe consider the rest of my options too. Now we can say all day long, I want to know the will of God because I want to do the will of God. And yet, time and time and time and time again, there's this gap. This growing gap between knowing what God's will is and actually living and walking in obedience to His will. So, I want to encounter... Several passages of scripture today and seek to answer a couple of questions. One, what is the will of God for his church? And I want, I say it that way because I want to caution us in speaking in a way that says, I want to know God's will for me as an individual. Because the biblical language we see across the board is a language of one body of people who is moving in the direction according to God's will for His purposes, for His plan, for His glory. Everyone say His. His. Not ours. Not mine. Not me. Okay? But ours corporately as the church. So what is, number one, what is God's will for His church? Two, the second piece of this, the second question I want to seek to answer is, how do we as the church discern what the will of God is? How do we navigate this together? So, Romans 12, I'm going to read the first two verses, and after I read that, I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians 4 and read another passage, and then we're going to dive into these texts of Scripture a little further. 
So in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to the church. Everyone say church. So it's written to the church in Rome. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, everyone say living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not, everyone say not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what? What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Now, hang on to those verses for just a minute and flip with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. Put a finger in Romans 12. Flip over to 1 Thessalonians 4. Go towards the back of your Bible And you're going to go past the other uh, letters or epistles of Paul. And here he is writing again to the church. Everyone say church. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 3, he says this. For this is the will of God. What is? Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, a couple of things that I want to pull out of this, and then we're going to pray together, is the beginning of Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, you need to make sure in what you are doing that you are not being conformed or molded to the world around you. And in fact, if you are indeed being conformed to the image of the world, instead of being transformed by the renewing of your minds, which happens by Christ, by His Spirit in us, in, when, we, when we come to faith in Christ, His Spirit indwells the believer and starts this process of transformation in our lives. If we are instead conforming ourselves to the world, then the basic truth and reality is you will never come to grips with what God's will for you is. If you are conforming yourself to the pattern of the world, and that is your pursuit, that is what your focus is, that is your motivation, that is where you spend your time, your money, everything else. If that is what you are conforming yourself to, that is where you stop. But instead, the promise of Romans 12 is not to be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that by testing, in other words, testing everything around you, testing everything you're exposed to, by testing those things in the transformation that's taken place in you, you may then discern what the will of God is. Now, the really neat thing about this is then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he starts off in verse 3. It says, this is, everyone say is, this is is the will of God 
your what? Sanctification. Now, this is a big word. And the sanctification simply is a theological term for you becoming more and more like Jesus and less and less like your fleshly self. Sanctification is literally the process of you moving from where you are today to where God wants you to be in Christ. To follow the molded example that Jesus already set and established and become more and more like that and leave more and more of the world and all of its trials behind. That is, in summary, in broad summary, what the will of God for the church is. It's sanctification, that it would be set apart, that the church would indeed be the bride of Christ that we are called to be in anticipation for the return of our Savior. Amen? Now let's pray, let's commit this to the Lord, and then I want to expand that even further into a biblical understanding of God's will on a larger scale and try to comprehend some of these things at a, at a deeper level. Father, may you be glorified in this time. May you help us to understand and see the depth of your will, but more importantly, the application of that, Lord, for, our, for your church, that we would not become distracted or blinded by all these other entities or pursuits after things that ultimately are leading us away from your will and your word, that we would root into who you are and establish from that who you've called us to be as your people. Father, for your glory, not our own, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Scripture as a whole, there's a couple of observations we need to make about God's will. And I want to give you a couple of categories that we can see God's will in throughout all of historical Scripture. Okay? The first one of those is God's moral or commanding will. Now, this is probably most often realized in passages like Exodus 20 when we see the Ten Commandments. God very specifically commands you are not to do these things. We see other passages in Jesus' teaching where he says things like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Where he says, as Paul wrote in Thessalonians, stay away from sexual immorality. Don't, don't go after that. That will not lead to you becoming more like Jesus. This is not something you should pursue. Though all of those fit under the blanket of God's commanding, His moral will. And this is one of the easiest categories for people to generally see. Because all you have to do is you pick up your Bible, you open it up, and you ask the question, what does God say? What has He commanded His church to be and to do? And then we ask the question, how do we do that? How can I do that today? That's when we come and we sit under the teaching of the Bible. That's the goal that we wouldn't just hear it. As James said, don't merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. What does he say we're to do? Do what it says, right? That's that's the call okay, of God's moral or commanding will. The second piece of this is God's sovereign will. Now, here's the really encouraging and neat reality about God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will is not affected 
by the specific decisions that you make. God's sovereign plan set forth from all eternity is happening exactly as He intended it to happen. His sovereign plan overshadows everything we see taking place around us. None of it is outside of His control and none of it is stressing Him out. There is a great measure of comfort that should be taken when we understand that God is seated on the throne. I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed out of my mind, being seated is the last thing I do. I'm running around like crazy. Oh my goodness, they made the decision over here, and now I've got to rearrange this, and this has got to change because I planned for this to be this way, and now it's got to be this way. That's not God. Why? Because His sovereign will overshadows all. It cannot be changed. It is not being changed. No matter how chaotic we see the culture getting, God's sovereign will is still intact, the same as it was from the very beginning of time. And it will come to pass exactly as He's intended it to pass. And we can find great comfort in that. Now, there is a third category that we generally have created, and it's called God's specific will. It's called God's specific will. And here's what God's specific will looks like, okay? So what do we call this? A map, right? This would not be a map you would want to take on a road trip. It would not get you anywhere. Okay, but it worked good because it was bigger so you could see it. Here's what we do when we think about God's specific will, and it is one of the most anxiety bringing machines that we've created in our own life. When we think about God's specific will, this is what we do. We lay the map of our whole life out on the ground and we go, okay, I've got one chance to figure out what God's will is. Oh no, life is going bad. Okay, I must have missed it. I must have not gotten this right the first time. So, alright, let's move my map. We'll try again. Alright God, I want to do your will. But you've got to show me your will. I'm trusting, I'm trusting you. And then life starts going bad, right? And we do this over and over and over and over and over again. And then we start... Maybe even questioning our faith because I'm trying to do the will of the Lord and every time I, I root into something, this happens. And I, I, I just assume that when I'm in the will of the Lord that things are going to go well and I'll, I'll be prosperous. And this is a message that's communicated all over the world right now. In fact, we go even as far <laughs> as we play these games with ourselves, right? And we go, all right, Lord... I don't know what your will is, but if I pass two yellow cars on the way home from work. What? Well, then you have to stop and you have to ask the question, well, do, do your neighbors have yellow cars? Like, is there a likelihood that you're going to pass two yellow cars? Because sometimes that's just something we made up in our own mind. Or uh, I heard another pastor say once, or we say, uh, all right, Lord, I, I, I am struggling in this area, and I'm trusting you to provide. And so if you provide, uh, 
money in the mail for me two times this month, then uh, I, I'll know it's your will. And he asked this, this pastor asked the question, do you normally get money during the month? Well, yeah, my parents send me money every month. Okay. But I, I bring this up because we play these games. And, and these games are all rooted around, I want to have this confidence where I can point at a dot on the map and go, this is God's will for me in the scope of all the world, in the scope of all eternity, that I've somehow convinced myself that I have to figure out some weird, unreliable, unapparent will of God somewhere on the face of the earth. And if I don't get it right, then I fail at God's mission for me. How many of you at some point in your life have believed something like this? I have. I have. And the problem is twofold with this. One, it puts a whole lot of authority in our hands to determine what the will of God is and leaves a whole lot of room for us to, re- to, to really screw up God's plan. Two, have you ever thought about what kind of God that makes God out to be? Oh, here, by the way, you know, you've got this whole earth and I've given you a broad map, but you need to figure out exactly what small infinitesimal spot on this map you need to be or else you're wrong and your life is going to be miserable until you figure out which infinitesimal dot on the map I have set exactly for you. That's not God. God is not somehow walking around trying to deceive you or making you feel bad about trying to figure out what his will is. In fact, the opposite is true. I believe fully that, in fact, God's specific will is summed up in the first two points of this. In his commanding will and his sovereign will, he's already revealed his will to us as his church. We just have to choose whether or not we're going to listen. That in the broad scope of everything going on, he has given us so much freedom in Christ. And instead, we try to find something else. Or, God, I really want you to be more specific. Or, Lord, I really want you to hone into this. Now, to clarify this, I am not saying that somehow God won't at times reveal specific places that you are to be. In fact, He does that specifically in the Old Testament. He does that. He reveals it to, to, the, to the disciples. When he, he leads them to go to another place. Or, but that is not the constant way in which God moves and reveals his will to us. And if we spend our days longing and waiting for God to somehow point out a dot on this map, we are going to waste so much time and root into so much anxiety instead of looking, what has God revealed his will to be already? And am I living into that? Am I leaning into those things? Now, I want to shift our focus a little bit from that. Because I want to identify two specific areas of God's will as we think about how do I discern God's will for my life. Two specific areas that we can identify that His will will never be. Alright? Everyone say never. Alright. Number one, God's will will never, I'm going to say never, it will never contradict His Word. God's will will never, ever, never contradict His Word. How do we know this? Numbers 23, verse 19, it says, God is not man that He should lie, 
or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is consistent. And if we really believe that the Word of God is inspired, which, if you come here for any amount of time, you're going to know that we believe, as 2 Timothy 3.16 states, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And that the Word of God is living and active, Hebrews 4.12. If we really believe that, then we should really believe that God's not going to say something in His Word and then change His mind a little later and go, Oh, you know what? I said that then. I'm going to say this now. It will never, I'm going to say never, it will never contradict His Word. Now, some of you may think, why does this need, even need to be said? Well, I'm going to tell you a story. When I was pastoring in Oregon State, we had a couple come into our, our, our offices during the week and they wanted to get married. And we didn't really know this couple, and so the lead pastor I was working alongside started asking them some questions and uh, engaging with them about, well, okay, tell me a little bit about yourself. And in the process of this, what we learned was that this, the woman who had come in with this couple was still married to another man. And in fact, the divorce proceedings hadn't even started yet. And they were using language that was, well, we really feel like this is the will of God for us to be together. Eh, wrong, no, not true. Why? Because it specifically contradicts what God's Word says. Specifically goes against God's design for what marriage and the covenant of marriage is supposed to be about. Specifically goes against the pastors that say, I, the Lord, hate divorce. Now, I preface this and say that I know there's many people who've experienced immense pain and hurt and suffering and who's gone through divorce and had to navigate those seasons. And I want you to know that in the midst of those, there is forgiveness and healing in Christ. Always. But... This, in this scenario, where we're looking at, okay, if I'm looking at making decisions about what God's will is for me, it must line up with His Word. Because it will never contradict that. Secondly, God's will will never, everyone say never, it will never contradict His character. Malachi 3, 6 and 7 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed from the days of your fathers. You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. What I love about this passage in Malachi is it reveals over time who really changes. It's not God. It's man who decides to err in his way. He decides not to follow the Lord's leading. He decides not to pursue what God has already established. And God calls them back. Why? Because he is still the same. He has not changed. Hebrews 13 says the same about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. 
So if I'm trying to discern what the will of God is, I can rest assured that it is not contrary to His Word, and it is not contrary to His character. If it is, in any way, shape, or form, it is not God's will. It is not God's will. This brings about a major importance for us, church, that we know, one, who is the God that we worship and serve, two, that we know the Word. And church, family, please, our time here on Sundays is not enough for you to know the Word. It's not. Okay? It's not enough. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not enough. It is not enough for you to come here and sit here and read passages with me while I'm teaching you and go, okay, I checked off my Bible reading for the week. You will not know the Word of God, and then when you try to discern the will of God, you will be led astray because you do not know what His Word actually says. Pursue His Word. So, to finish this out, I I want to give you several questions that you can ask. Several questions that you can ask to discern what is God's will for me. And maybe you're here today and you're going, I'm wrestling with this right now. Whether you're uh, a student who's looking at college in the next year or a couple of years and you're trying to discern what is God's will for my life, what, what do I pursue, what do I lean into, whether you're already a college student and you're, you're finishing up your studies and you're looking to you know, stepping into the workforce and you're going, what is God's will for me in my job and my career, how do I navigate this? Or maybe you're in a life decision and you're trying to figure out, should we buy this house or should we, should we update our car or should we do this or that? All right? what is, how do I discern what God's will is in any of these areas? And how do I do it in a way that stays true to His Word and His character? Number one question, can I do what I'm doing and bring glory to God? Can I do what I'm doing and bring glory to God? 1 Corinthians 8, I have that mentioned here because this passage, Paul is specifically talking to the church at Corinth and they're wrestling because they're disagreeing about whether or not they could eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. And so here's what was happening. There was groups of people that were sacrificing animals to false idols and then they would, uh, they would sell that meat that had been sacrificed in the, in the marketplace and Because there was such a stigma attached to it, they would sell it way cheaper. And who doesn't like cheap discount meat? Right? But, there was tension. Why? Because the Jews were going, man, we shouldn't, I don't know that we should really eat meat that's been offered to false idols. Like, isn't that, isn't there a bad stigma attached to that? It's kind of superstitious that it's been offered and what do we do? And then others were going, we have freedom in Jesus. Like, let's, let's eat meat at half price. Let's, <laughs> I can get double the meat. Let's go. And Paul addresses the tension and he goes, look, we, we do have freedom in Christ. And then he adds one caveat and he says, but if you doing this causes a brother to stumble, don't do it. And so in that moment, what he identifies there is you can still eat meat that's been offered to false idols because there's no power in those false idols. There's nothing that dwells your body from these false idols. But there is something that doesn't bring me glory. If you are 
causing another brother to stumble in their own walk of faith. That does not bring me glory. And so in the midst of that, the application there is, yes, I can do it. But there's some caveats there for me to seek to understand in what brings glory to God. And here's a little side application in the midst of this church. I do not believe that God cares about the kind of car you drive or the house that you live in or the number in your bank account or the job that you have. And here's why. Because those things in and of themselves are not His concern. Your heart attitude is. So, if it's those material possessions like a car or a house or other anything else, my job, and that is causing me to worship those things. It's causing me to be selfish. It's causing me to grow more towards the world's standards than it is towards Christ. Then absolutely not. You should not. But if I can be in this job and I can own these things and I still have my eyes permanently fixed on Jesus as the only one who can save me and the only hope that I have for eternity, then you will not stand condemned before God for that. Can I do what I'm doing and bring glory to God? Secondly, is this a decision that models Jesus? Anyone who knows me knows this is a question that I ask a lot. Someone comes to me and ask for counsel or advice, this is generally my first question. Can you do this and still model Jesus or not? If the answer is no, then you shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it. Why? Because in 1 Peter 2, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Everyone say example. So that you might, what? Follow in whose steps? His being Jesus' steps. He committed no sin. Deceit was not found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is a great question to ask yourself, church. In how I'm responding to my kids acting terribly today. Am I modeling Jesus to them? And how I'm responding to my spouse when I'm frustrated with them. Am I modeling Jesus to them? And, and how I'm responding to a brother or sister in Christ that has got it under my skin for the last time. Am I modeling Jesus to them? One of the questions that I tell my premarital couples when we do premarital counseling with them to think about is, is to think about your own relationship with the Lord and ask yourself the question, if Jesus treated me the way that I am acting towards them, would I be okay with that? In other words, if I engage in relational conflict and I am not acting in a way in which I would want God in Christ to be acting towards me, then I am acting wrong. Does it model Jesus? Thirdly, will, this is, this is the hardest one for me, personally. <laughs> will I be proud of this at the judgment seat of Christ? Whew. Some of you are sitting here, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I'm in Christ. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I say, amen, there is not. However, 
Romans 14 says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all, everyone say all. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now the hope here, church, is that in Christ, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. In other words, in Christ, when this account is given, for the first time ever you will see your sin for what it really is in the presence of a holy God. And then... In that moment, for the first time, you will understand the depth of God's grace towards you. Because you will realize, yeah, all of these things I thought that made me a good follower of Jesus didn't count for anything. It was only by His blood. It's only in His resurrection that I am saved. Can I do what I'm doing and be proud of it when I stand before God and account for it? Or not. The last thing, church, that I want to leave you with here. What has God given me now? And am I being faithful with that? You have an opportunity right now, today, to live out the will of God in your life. You have an opportunity today. To root into what God says in His Word is already His will for His church. And then to act on it. In your home, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your community. Are you being faithful with those things that you already have? 1 Thessalonians 5, if there's one passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 that I would point you to if you ask the question, what is the will of God for me today? Read this every single morning if you want to know what God has called you to in Christ. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. You want to know what God's will for the church is? It's this. And we got a long way to go before we model this. But church, I exhort you as my brothers and sisters in Christ to pursue this. When you wonder, what is God's will for my life? Read this. And then lean into that. And know that I can choose to get my paycheck from any number of things and still live this out. I can choose to marry and live this out. I can choose to have kids or not and live this out. I can be a single person who's striving to live for Jesus and live this out any and every circumstance in our lives. We have the opportunity to live out the will of God in Christ Jesus. And it's right here. That you and me would become less like ourselves and more like Jesus every step of the way. 
I was at a pastor's conference recently and there was another pastor there who gave this illustration. I just want to share it with you because it's really pertinent to the day we're in where we have decided that anyone can determine their own identity. And how many of you at some point in your life have had a teacher come into a classroom and say, okay, pull out a blank piece of paper and write me a one-page paper on anything you want? How many of you have had that assignment at some point in your life? Okay, a few of you. So when that happens, generally there's some sort of anxiety that takes place. As you try to figure out what am I going to write, what is this going to look like, how am I going to navigate this? But let's take that a step further. The teacher goes on to say, oh, by the way, your grade on this paper will be your entire grade for the semester. That messes with you, doesn't it? Well, the gospel of identity that is in our world right now says your life is a blank sheet of paper and only you can write your own story on it. And if anyone else tells you what to write on that paper, that's evil. That's what the culture of identity says. But here's the really messed up anxiety-inducing part. Those people will say, you will never be happy if you mess it up. This is something our students are dealing with at a young age. It's something adults deal with at every age. But here's what the true gospel says. The true gospel says your father loves you and designed you and you will be perfectly full of joy when you discover who he designed you to be. In our fallen sinfulness, we have said to God, only I can make my identity. And we've separated ourselves from him trying to go it on our own. But even when he... When we ran from God, trying to create and achieve and write our own identity, He came towards us in Jesus and offered to fix us. When we put our faith in Christ, we are saved. Amen? Paul says one day we will see Jesus as He is, and then, then we'll know who we are truly designed to be. When we resort to searching for a specific dot on the map kind of will from God, we end up with a life filled with anxiety and uncertainty. At minimum, we waste precious time worrying over and fretting over something that God has already made known to us as His church. Here is the calming reality that should hit us today, church. God has already penned the story and established the boundaries. God has finished the most important part. That is, He created a way for us to be near Him in Christ. His will for us as the church today is faithfulness. Faithfulness to cherish our spouse. Faithfulness to disciple our kids. Faithfulness to care for the needs of each other and our community. Faithfulness to stand up against injustice. Faithfulness to know, meditate on His Word day and night. Faithfulness to gather together. Faithfulness to speak the truth in love. Faithfulness to run this race with endurance as long as there is breath in my lungs. May we be a church who is passionate about this. May we be a church who exudes this. May we be a church who is faithful. 
May we be a church who stops wasting time trying to discern what God's will is for our individual lives and start living out His revealed will as one people possessed by God who cannot be and will not be overcome by darkness because of what has been done for us in Christ. Amen? Father, as we close this time, May you be the focus of our attention and may we strive to live out your will for your church. To be a people who lives as those possessed by the Spirit of God. Lord, to be faithful with what you have placed in front of us right now. Lord, lead us in a direction where we are faithful to do your will. To obey your commands to trust your sovereignty from this day forth as long as we have breath. Lord, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.